Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Social Strategy Podcast, and this is Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. And this is your host, Vernon Ross, and this is episode number six. Welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, where it's all about making the most of your business with smart tips on what's working now in social media, online business, and good old-fashioned networking. And now your host, who's also known as Ross PR on Twitter, Vernon Ross. Hey guys, this is Vernon Ross with the Social Strategy Podcast, and I am really, really excited to bring you guys Pat Flynn. So um, Pat Flynn is from the Smart Passive Income Podcast, which is one of the most popular podcasts on iTunes right now, and I believe it is also one of the top podcasts on Stitcher Radio. You can find us over at Stitcher too as well. Just search for social media and we pop up on that front page. It was really exciting getting a chance to talk to uh, Pat for about 35, 40 minutes, just one-on-one, picking his brain, asking him questions before and after the actual interview. We actually covered some things that, you know, we needed to do and talk and get to know each other even better. Pat was really cool for agreeing to do the interview with me. I mean, I'm just getting started. And although I think we've had some great guests so far, Pat Flynn has um, been one of the ones that I've, you know, that was a dream interview and I've already gotten it. So mission accomplished there. We covered some really, really good information and there's a lot of stuff for you guys to learn in this episode. There's a ton of links for resources that are going to keep you busy four or five, maybe six hours after this podcast airs. And I encourage you guys, go to each one of the links that are in the podcast. When you get to your computer, if you're listening to this on your iPhone or on your Android, if you're listening on your Android, you can listen on Stitcher. But uh, if you're listening on your iPhone or whatever you're listening on, make sure you check out the episodes that are mentioned from the SPI podcast or Smart Passive Income podcast on here. You have to listen to these episodes. One of my favorite episodes is number 46, Building a Lucrative Business with No Ideas, No Expertise, and No Money with Dane Maxwell. I'm going to try to have Dane on the show. I'm not sure exactly when that's going to happen. It may not be until 2014, but if you don't know about Dane and what he does, you should listen to that episode. There is a ton of great information in that episode. Also, there's you know two other episodes that I'm not going to talk about right now because they're mentioned in the podcast. There's also uh, links to you know a couple other guys like Nathan Berry and Lewis Howes. Lots of good information in here. One of the things that um, was a takeaway for me from this before we even start is talking about masterminds. And I mentioned that in the in the actual post at socialstrategypodcast.com. Take a look at that and just give us some thought. I'm going to have some stuff on the back end for you to think about. So without further delay, here is the episode. Okay, so hey, this is Vernon Ross, and this is the Social Strategy Podcast, and I'm here at FinCon 2013, and I am talking to one of my podcasts and blogging idols, Pat Flynn. What's up, Vernon? How are hey, you? Hey, Pat. What's going on? <laughs> so this has been a great conference, and um, I loved your entrance and your, your keynote. Thank you. <laughs> keynote was about making a first impression, and for, of course, anybody that wasn't here, Pat runs up to the stage and just totally almost face plants falls all the way across the stage everybody's like <gasps> there's just a visible gasp and people were like and they just stopped and i mean it was literally like time stopped and people were like oh my god is he okay because you got up slow it wasn't like a, oh no i'm just kidding and then you ran backwards and the music went back and that was that was awesome 
So the day before at your meetup, we we were like, hey, maybe you should fall in on stage. So was that already planned? It was already planned. I had planned it for months. Okay. And so it was funny because I had mentioned at that meetup the day before the keynote, um, you know, I, it, my presentation is about first impressions, and right. you and a few others were like, "You should, you should trip on stage." <laughs> and I was just thinking in my head, "Oh, you, you'll see, <laughs> you'll that's, see." That's, well, I think it's probably because we just kind of know your personality now. I was like, "Yeah, you know what I say? I think he would do something like that." Yeah, I mean, I always try to make a grand entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not anything silly and, and weird, but it it definitely played into the idea of yeah. leaving a first impression creating something memorable. Right. Um, and so far the response has been nothing but positive. So no, it was I'm awesome. I'm really happy about that. It's the first time I've actually seen anybody do that at a keynote on stage. So that was... It's my very first keynote, so, you know, I wanted to start off with a bang. And I wanted to ask you about that. Since you mentioned this was your first keynote, how, how long did you go through preparing for your keynote? Well, for this one, you know, my very first keynote, actually, to be honest, my very first pe- uh, paid speaking gig as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it motivated me really hard to really bring my A game. Oh, wow. So, Congratulations. Thank you. And and I um, wanted to do something special for this community who did something special for me. They let me do my very first public speaking gig back in 2011 in Chicago. And that got me started in this public speaking arena. And so I wanted to give back to them by giving them something really, really good and something to start off the conference really well. And so I prepared, and I was talking to someone about this earlier, about, and I tried to calculate this all the way from idea creation all the way through slides and even rehearsal about 250 hours oh my God. of total work Wow! into this um, and yeah when you break it down you know as far as how much per hour and you know it's not about the money for me it's about just being able to deliver and also really like I said give back to this community that gave back to me so I spent a lot of time for sure right. now in one of your um, I was going through your site just going through trying to prepare for this interview nervous about doing it it's like I've listened to I don't know probably Almost every podcast that you've done over the past six months, year, I listen to it every time I run. So it's yours, it's a few other podcasts, um, the Solopreneur Hour, just start listening to him. But if it's going to be a long run, I'm like, okay, well, Pat's show is about an hour, so I know I'm going to at least be running for at least an hour. So I'll listen to that, I'll get an, I'll get an SPI in, and then maybe I'll work in some of the other ones and mm-hmm. listen to them on, you know, on the drive to work. But um, I don't remember the number on it. I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes. But on your uh, how to build an email list, you talked about making a first impression. So can you go in a little bit of detail about how do you make a first impression online? Because with online businesses, and the focus of this podcast is online business, of course, social networking strategies. Mm -hmm. How do you make an effective first impression online when the people don't really know you and you don't really know what type of audience you're going to be approaching. Right. Great question. I mean, we could talk about email lists in a second, but people usually subscribe after that initial first impression when they come on your site. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with, with the visuals, right, of course, mm-hmm. because even before people read your content, in the first, and I did research on this, it's the, in the first two-tenths of a second, people are already making decisions about your site. And there are certain triggers that trigger a positive sort of initial impression, and there are certain triggers that... Um, that create a, or there are certain things that you see that trigger a negative uh, first impression, and a lot of things that, and a lot, a lot of it, like I said, has to do with what people see. Mm-hmm. And really, what you want to happen when people come to your website is you want to continue the conversation they're already having. And what I mean by that is there's a purpose 
that people come with onto your site. Typically, they go to your site for a reason, to read something or to do something and, and to find something in, in a specific area that they're looking information for. And if you give them time to think, hey, maybe is this the spot, is this where should I be or is this where should I not be? The, most of the time, they're going to think, okay, I'm going to leave. You want to have the elements of your website and the user experience support that conversation and that purpose that they're there for. So you want to make things really quick and easy to find and figure out. Um, for example, navigation is a big uh, stopping point for a lot of people. A lot of people will visit a site expecting to find something or look for something and all of a sudden they're overwhelmed with, wow, there's all this content here, where do I go, what do I do? So the solution there is you really want to create a clear starting point for blogs or for a web for your website, you know, because a lot of people are going to arrive and they're not going to they're not going to know what to do. Mm-hmm. And if they spend any more than like two seconds trying to figure it out, they're going to leave because that we live in a world we, where we want solutions fast, right? Google tells us we get information in point zero zero four five seconds, right? right? We want things quick, so why don't you just provide your audience with what they need to get started? I have a getting started page on the uh, homepage of smartpassiveincome.com, and it's the third most visited page on my website after I I set it up. And the reason I knew to set this up was because I asked my audience. Well, I took about a sample of 100 people on my email list. I asked them, what was the first impression when you had on my site? I'm trying to improve my site. I'd love to get your honest opinion on what you thought when you first visited my site. And a lot of people said, you know, Pat, I heard a lot about you. I I went on your site. It was just too overwhelming for me. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know where to start. So my response was, okay, I'm going to put a starting point. Right. And that page has become the third most visited page on the site, including the home page, and then second is my income reports page. But then that, that getting started page has been so good for getting people into what they should do first or what are the top things they should look at. Mm-hmm. And the, when you can get people a little bit deeper into your site by clicking something or reading a little bit, they're more likely to stick around because they're getting some of your content already. And so that really quick little click onto that secondary page does a lot to keep them there and keep them reading. Um, there's a lot of other things that can trigger a positive social uh, first impression. For example, social proof, meaning you know we as humans are we have a herd mentality, meaning we typically look for the group and we look toward the group for how to behave. And you might notice this if you're ever in a public area and you see a group of people forming and you don't know what they're looking at, but because that group is forming, you want to know what, what's inside. You can't help but look. Right. I remember this story uh, this this comedian told at an event once. He was doing a comedy show. And during the middle of the show, a guy in the middle of the audience gets up and goes to the bathroom. So when this guy's in the bathroom, the comedian tells the rest of the audience, there's like a thousand people there, to, um, hey, guys, th- that guy just left to the bathroom. I want you all to put your finger in your nose right now. Like, everybody put your finger in your It was something like that, finger right. in your mouth, a finger in your nose. And then we'll we'll see what that guy does when he comes back. So everybody puts their finger in their nose. The guy's still doing his comedy show, regular bit. This guy comes back from the bathroom, scoots in, and goes to the middle and looks around. He's like, what, what is everybody? And he puts his finger in his nose. He doesn't know why, but because everyone else is doing it, you know? Right. That must be the thing to do at that moment. Oh, that's crazy. So that's, you know, social proof. And so how do you do that online? Well, you show your new visitors or people on your website that there are actually people there. And you can do that a number of different ways. You can show people how many people are subscribed, mm-hmm. um, how many people have downloaded your free giveaway, for example, how many customers you have, um, how many comments you're getting on posts, all things that show there's activity going on in your site. Because if other people are there, you must be in the right spot. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you go to Basecamp.com, for example, on the front page, on right on the front page it says, 
for example, 6,823 customers joined Basecamp last week. Like, that many people can't be wrong, or that many companies can't be wrong, so it must be the place I should be. And then they could dive deeper into what you have to offer them. Right. But I will say, with social proof, you have to be careful, because if I were to say, for example, welcome to my site, I sold one product last we- last year, that wouldn't do very well for me. You know, exactly. that, that's negative social proof. Um, other types of social proof are things like testimonials, showing exact reactions that other people have had when they've come to your site or how they've used the content that you have to help them in their goals. Um, also, there is the expert social proof, meaning as seen on you know, CNN or MSNBC or you know, if you've been featured on other sites that a lot of people know, mm-hmm. they're going to make that connection when they go to your site. Oh, you've been featured on this other site that I read right. or this big name site. You must have some credibility. That's interesting that you mentioned the, um, the as seen on. I um, there's a book that I ran into, and it was uh, I think it's called Power, something Power Players or something like that, and I'll have to link to that in the show notes and, and look and see what that title is. But their their big thing was, hey, you can be featured in this book, and now you can say that you were featured in this book. All you have to do is write us a proposal. We'll feature your story, and this book is also going to be advertised on. CNN and on these particular networks and on these websites. And so you can say that you've been featured in because we're going to advertise on the site with a sponsored story. So when you start looking at that, do you recommend people do things like that? They, If they're paying as part of an advertisement to be featured in the Wall Street Journal, is it is it a little disingenuous to say, hey, I've been featured in the Wall Street Journal if the Wall Street Journal didn't actually feature you as an article but it was a paid so like placement technically speaking you were but when really honestly you weren't right I, mean, I personally wouldn't you know try to pay for anything like that you want things to be genuine and you know what if one of your readers found out that that's how you went through it mm-hmm. they wouldn't trust you anymore exactly so i would make sure that any sort of expert social proof that you have going on is real and even testimonials they're really easy to make up but they should absolutely be real yeah, there were a couple conversations uh, here at FinCon with some new bloggers that were saying, well, why wouldn't I just say I was featured on this site if, you know, there, there was an ad for me on this site and for my book or for my website? It's, I'm being featured on the site. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think that's really... Featured is, an, is the key word there, right? right. You know, like, are right. you really featured? Like, if I were to go to them and, you know, would they remember you? Probably not. Exactly. Um, so the so social proof uh, is, is another way of leaving a good first impression. Um, but, you know, a lot of people use things like pop-ups and advertisements, and they're okay. They can be used to your advantage to build an email list or um, bring attention to something at a certain moment in time. But a lot of people misuse those devices, pop-ups and advertisements. And, you know, people come to your site for a reason. They want to read, for example, your best article. And when you're showing them your best article and you have these advertisements on the sidebar, like where do you want your people to look right like what how are you helping them here when you're com- just confusing them because advertisements are made to be looked at mm-hmm. companies know that and they design them in a way to be looked at so why are you confusing your audience where to look so you might want to go through your site and see what the conversation might be that your site is having with you as you go through it and see where your attention might be drawn to and are you drawing attention to that spot in the right moment right now when i look at your site and I look at your site as an example of how to do a site. And I study a lot of blogs and podcast sites. And one of the things I noticed is that the um, the advertisements are down in the bottom right-hand corner. So it's not the first thing that I see when I look up. I see that, you know, on your site now, I saw that you're going to be a FinCon. I see that you're going to be a New Media Expo. 
And then I scroll down, and I see the Bluehost and AWeber and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So was that a conscious decision? Is it something you found out over a period of time? or it, Well, I found out over a period of time, yes. I mean, it was all done through split testing and things like that. But really, I mean, thinking about that flow and the purpose that, are people, that people are there for and the first impression I want to make, I want when my visitors um, go to my website to do specific stuff, and it's not look at ads you know, right when they come to my site. So that's why I have them below the fold after they've gotten a little bit into the site. And actually, I'm doing a redesign of my site right now, which is going to get even into more of the whole, well, what, I wanna, what do I want to tell my audience first and where do I want them to go? Those ads are probably going to go away. Okay, wow, really? Yeah. So um, you had, um, I'm trying to remember his name now, and I'm, I feel really bad about the fact that I've said two or three things and I can't remember what they are. That's okay. But I'll link to it in the show notes. He was a guy, you guys did an episode, and he sells his book only on his site. Yeah, Nathan Berry. Nathan Berry. The only reason I can't remember his name is because I didn't write it down That's as okay. I was preparing for this. So is your, is your design going to be more like a Nathan Berry's type design where it's one single page that kind of flows? Because I like the design of his site, and I haven't seen very many like them, and I, I've seen designs changing more towards that type of flow like on Lewis Howes on his yeah, website. Yeah, I was about to mention Lewis Howes. So it's, you know, the, these sites have a really purposeful design. You know, there's purpose in how they are structured. First part is introduction. Second part, okay, what I do. Third part, proof. Fourth part, you know, call to action, mm-hmm. essentially. And Nathan Berry does that very well. It's a great example. Um, that's at NathanBerry.com. And you can also see another example of these kinds of sites at LewisHowes.com. And yes, it's going to be structured a little bit more toward that direction for a home page right right because pe- when people go to your home page you, you know the traditional blog style where you show you show chronologically the latest posts and then mm-hmm. back then um, that's a lot of information for people to, to see right when they get to your site and a lot of times it's overwhelming so when people go to your home page you want to introduce them to who you are and what you're about then as opposed to welcome to my home page here's 10 articles that I just written like that doesn't make sense in the conversation right so yeah, I was surprised in um, talking to people here at FinCon how many brand-new financial bloggers are here, and some of them have sites, and some of them are just launching their sites. And there's a lot of confusion about what should I put on my site first. I'm worried about building content. I don't know if I should be trying to capture emails right now, or should I be using pop-ups? Pat Flynn said don't use pop-ups, but other people do use pop-ups to you know try to get email subscribers. and. I heard it's effective for building, you know, building lists. Should I be trying to build my list, or should I be worried about not putting pop-ups? Where should I put the email subscription thing? Should it be in the post? Should it be under the post? Mm-hmm. There's just so much confusion about it. If you were recommending for a brand-new blogger, they're just building a WordPress site, don't have a lot of money to spend on you know, custom plugins, custom pop-ups, uh, like pop-up domination. I know Lewis Howes uses that and promotes that. What would you recommend? Well, I never said pop-ups are bad. I said people misuse them. Yeah, I'm and, sorry. You no, 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 it's it. okay. I just want to make sure. Right. Um, but, yeah, I can see where the confusion is. And there's a lot of people saying a lot of different information. And really what essentially that means is you just have to try something and test it and see if it works. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, it's good to worry about these things. But the more we worry about these things, the less content we're actually putting out. And the content is the most important thing. And, of course, that's totally separate than the first impression. So it's important to have a website that works. And the example I used in my presentation was MrMoneyMustache.com. It's not the most beautiful site in the world. 
He doesn't even use pop-ups. He doesn't have very many advertisements, but it's a site that works, and it works really well, and he's getting paid really well for it, I assume. Um, it's one of the top uh, personal finance sites in the world right now. And so when it comes to email, you know, personally, I like to have people read my content first and then choose themselves to subscribe. So at the end of an article, a pop-up might be a good place to put or that I usually have a static web form underneath my articles to subscribe. Like this article, want more of this, want to get notified when you get these types of posts, sign up below. And also here's a free giveaway for you for doing that. Um, and that works really well mm -hmm. also. Um, Pop-ups do work. And even if you put them up and it's the first thing people see, they work. But no one figures out, well, what's the quality of the people who subscribe to those email lists? Because a lot of times those people will subscribe just to get the free guide or the free giveaway. Right. And that's how you get a lot of subscribers because you're immediately showing people you have this free thing you give away. Mm -hmm. Yes, the numbers will be higher, but in the long run, how strong are those subscribers going to be? Right. And what kind of uh, quality of those subscribers do you have? Okay, so now uh, I do some coaching on the side, and one of my coaching clients, she's just launched a podcast, um, just she has a, a, a one blog, and she's launching a new one to support her podcast. And one of the biggest confusions that she's having, and I'm trying to help her through, is how does she craft an offer that's effective to give away? And she's like, well, I don't want to give away too much, and I'm not sure how much to give away. Should I give away an ebook? Should I just do a personalized video with some information? What would you recommend for a blogger that's brand new or that's fairly new something that they can give away when they don't really have a product to sell. Great. And this is, would be incentive, for example, to get into your email list, yes. which is a very smart thing to do. Um, I did an episode, I believe it was number 78, with Clay Collins, mm -hmm. the founder or co-founder of Lead Pages, which happens to be a company that I am now an advisor for. And on that podcast, we talked about email conversion strategies, and he recommended some sort of giveaway, you know, obviously for, uh, to get people into an email list. But he recommended against doing an ebook because lately he's found this and he runs a company that keeps track of all this data about email and conversions and opt-ins. They found that, and this makes, this makes complete sense. You know, those, those 20 to 40 page ebooks that people give away for free, people don't read them. And, you know, they look attractive, but think about it. If you subscribe, are you going to read 20 to 40 pages on something? Like, we don't live in a, we don't live in an era where, you don't have that much time. And also, something of value like that, you're giving it less value than it deserves, giving it away for free. So those are very strong words. So well, what do you give away? Well, this is what Clay recommended, and I'm doing this on one of my other sites, and it's working really, really well. This is the food truck site that I just recently built for food truck owners. Um, instead of doing a huge ebook package, give away a list with a little bit of detail of each of these things on your list. And what is on that list? tools and resources to help your audience accomplish or do something. Just a, It could be two page, a two-page PDF or even a one-page PDF of the top five tools to do something, for example. And it's really interesting because people gravitate toward the tools and resources that they think will help them get a head start. Mm -hmm. And it makes complete sense. Like when people buy something... Um, like, for instance, you know, I'm an I'm a amateur photographer. I'm not very good. But I feel like when I buy a special lens that I'm going to be this amazing photographer. And I get recommendations from people on what lenses will help my photographs look better in an instant. And the same thing with tools. Like if, uh, you know, on, on my food truck site, I'm giving away a list of 
six social media tools that food truckers should be using to help keep better contact with their customers. Right. And what's the name of that food truck website? Uh, the food truck website I haven't actually revealed yet. Oh, wow. Um, You're going to, to my you audience. want to reveal it on the uh, Social Strategy Podcast? Well, I'm going to be revealing it in November. And the, the reason I'm not revealing it now is because I'm publicly um, showing how I build this site. And I don't want the audience that I'm sharing this process with to skew the data right now. But I'm going to be releasing it in um, early November. So at that point, you can probably, if you're listening to this, you can, and if it's ready, you'll see it in the show notes. With right. The, if Vernon, it'll be there. Um, so I'll let you know when that goes live. But, yeah, this should go live um, mid to late November. Okay. So I probably have talked about it already, but just in case, okay. um, you know, well, check keep, out check out know, Vernon's show notes. Right, right. And, That'll be good incentive for people to go check very, out your website cool. anyway. So now, how did you decide on a food truck website? Because you talked about it in one of the um, SPI episodes. I don't recall which episode it is, and we'll have to link to that in the show notes. Uh, I think it was episode eighty-two, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I talked about it a little bit with Carl Mattiola, who I featured in episode eighty-two, who quit his job at Tesla to start a software business, and we were talking about market research and discovering opportunities by having real conversations with people like phone conversations or meeting with people in person you know a lot of people they create something or they build a business around something they think will work and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't well the way carl did it and he learned from a guy named dane Dane maxwell who i featured in episode 46 and this is how i'm building this food truck site one of my favorite episodes by the way thank you yeah a lot of people say that i've downloaded over 120,000. i think that was the one where you were at roads we don't need roads was, was that that one? Was no, that, that, one? that was um, was that Jeff Goins? I think that might have been Jeff because we talked about Back to the Future there. There's a couple that I have. I mentioned Back I to the Future to a lot, yeah. so I don't. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My favorite movie. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, it's okay. Um, but how I decided on the food truck niche was based purely on. Well, first it was based on um, keyword research. So using tools like Longtail Pro or Market Samurai to discover which keywords people were searching for. And the keyword I found was food trucks for sale. That was being searched for 14,000 times a month. And the competitiveness in, uh, in Google, as far as SEO is concerned, was, was very little. The thing is, after doing more research about food truckers, after you know, seeing that this, there was opportunity here to, to create a food trucks for sale site, I discovered that there wasn't any good resources out there to help food truck owners in general. Not just food truck owners looking to buy a food truck, but just anywhere to learn anything about starting a food truck, managing a food truck, and dealing with the business side of food trucks. So what I did was I actually went to a couple events that happened in San Diego. I met up with some food truck owners, and I talked to them. And I asked them, hey, if I wanted to start a food truck, where would I go? And they all gave me different answers. There was no one central resource. That told me, um, and I asked about 20 of them over the course of two weeks. It's a small sample, but it showed me that there was no, there was no one central re, uh, resource. And then I d- started doing more, more research. You know, that sort of validated the idea of my website, right? This is something that I've recently been talking about a lot and something you'll hear in um, The Lean Startup by Eric Reese, which is a great book. You know, validating your ideas before you do them instead of creating something you think will work, knowing that they're going to work by talking to the audience you're going to serve and not even guessing anymore because they're telling you what to do. And then eventually working with these people to help you build out which, whatever it is you're trying to create, whether it's software or website. But I started asking more questions to these food trick owners. I started building a relationship with them by asking them questions. And they were really happy and interested to talk about someone who wanted to help serve their market. And so I discovered a lot of things by asking questions like one of the biggest concerns that they have is their food truck's going to break down because when their truck's not working, they can't do business. 
And so they would want information about where they can find mechanics around the areas they live in, which I would have never found out if I had just, you know, guessed or, or, or didn't ask. I also found out that one of the biggest issues is the is dealing with health and, and, and um, licensing and code regulations in all different cities. Every set, different city has a different set of uh, requirements and regulations when it comes to food trucks. So a food truck from San Diego can't drive to Los Angeles and start serving until they get a license and understand the codes and where to go. It's a crazy business. That's interesting. And I think that's why no one's created a website because it's just very complicated <laughs> right now. Right. So you decided to tackle that I one? decided to tackle that, and like I've done before in other niches. And so you know, there's a lot of opportunity here. There's some even software opportunity available. Um, I could potentially create a database of all the food trucks in the U.S. and have something for consumers, You know, something that can easily find their favorite truck or send them a notification when their truck's within a certain radius. I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But there's a lot of right. a lot of potential here, and I only know that because I've asked the people that I'm trying to serve on my site. Instead of building something, just writing content and hoping people are going to like it. No, the stuff I'm going to write is based off of exactly what these people need. Right. Now, so with your security guard training site, I know you did the, the very same type of research because mm-hmm. your mom was a security guard. Yeah, I mean, that had very little to do with, with the, the website, but um, it just got me a little bit interested in that was just a coincidence it was just kind of coincidence yeah um, because um she is a security guard and i started doing keyword research on it and discovered that the keyword security guard training was heavily searched for not very much competition there was no resource just like with the food truck site and so i built that resource and i created a website that helps people in any state because each state has a different set of requirements to become a security guard how to become one and um, it's doing really well. It's making money off of advertisements, but the advertisements mm-hmm. are there to extend the conversation. And um, it's making about fifteen hundred to three thousand a month, and purely on auto- autopilot right now, which is really cool. Right now, do you um, do you recommend people use AdSense? Um, AdSense has pros and cons to it. You know, it's not the most professional, beautiful looking thing that you could put on your website. And you know, you got to think about this: when people click on ads, they're leaving your website. Right. So. You know, they can go down a whole different path, and so you have to understand with the security guard training site. Like my goal is to get them the information they need, and then have the ads take care of them after that. Um, for other sites, you know, a lot of times ads are placed in places where they're in the middle of a post, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense. Like, what do you, what do you, what exactly do you want your audience to do when they get there? Um, AdSense is is a great way to start because you just put code on your site. And wherever that, wherever you place that specific code um, on the front end of your site, Google will place ads that are relevant to the content in and around that page that ad is placed. Right. And so, you know, those ads are relevant, which is important. You don't yeah. want unrelevant ads because they're not going to get clicked on. Um, and you know, I've been making a significant amount of money from AdSense on that website too. But I have been making more money. Um, through affiliate marketing on a lot of the other niches I'm in where I'm actually choosing which products to recommend based on my own experience with them. Right, yeah, your, um, your Bluehost uh, YouTube video on how to build a website in four minutes is extremely popular. I watched it a couple times because I actually don't host with Bluehost. I, I host with HostGator. And I'm like, well, you know what? If Pat can build a website in four minutes on Bluehost, I should be able to copy his success and do that on HostGator. And unfortunately, I have not been able to do that on HostGator because it takes a lot more than four minutes to build your website on HostGator. So thinking about switching to Bluehost. So if I do, I'll be using your, your affiliate link. Well, thank you. <laughs> but when you, when you built that site, or not the site, when you made that video and made that post, 
I saw that you actually went through the steps of signing up for Bluehost. Yeah. Do you think it's important to show people that you use the products that you recommend? Yeah, I only recommend products that I use because if I don't, how do I know that that product or the company that I'm sending them to is going to take care of my audience? Mm -hmm. You know, your audience, the people who are on your website, you have to take care of them. And if I were to recommend a product that maybe didn't take care of them, yeah, they might be angry at that product, but I lost their trust because they got that recommendation from right. me. So I always promote things that I've used uh, myself. And with that video specifically, you know, I actually signed up for a new domain. I actually paid for it. You know, you see me paying for it, and you right. know, I hide my information, of course, during that process. But you know, people want to see the step by step and see what they're going to have to do, oftentimes before they start spending money for it. And so, you know, I call that unboxing the mystery. You know, like there's all these. There's there's a, there's, a, there's a huge population of people on YouTube who watch these videos of people like unboxing their PlayStation 4 right. or you I've, know I've done a, quite a few of them. You right? I'm one of those people. Oh, really? They uh, work. People watch them because they want to see exactly what they're going to get before they pay for it. And they're really interested in the details of what's inside that box. So what I do with those videos and that step-by-step -step walkthrough of how to go sign up for Bluehost is that box that I'm sharing with people. And this is what's inside. This is how you get set up. This is what to expect. And that way they feel more secure and comfortable with paying for something that they know they're going to get. And they can just walk through with me how to do it. Right. Yeah, I um, in talking to a lot of the lifestyle bloggers or some people call them mom mommy bloggers, they get a lot of product offers to review products and give mm -hmm. them away. And one of, the, one of the mommy bloggers I was talking to, she goes, well, you know, my audience has been sort of reacting lately to a lot of the giveaways that I do and the products that I review and recommend, especially the ones that I have affiliate agreements with because they think that the only reason I'm uh, promoting it is because they are giving me the products and because I make money if they buy it. Is there a way to get around that, or is it really just a audience trust issue based on your involvement with the audience over a period of time to see that you're genuine right I mean I think it's just you know being real and honest and you know if I were to promote something and I knew I was getting paid for it, you want, obviously want to share that um, and you know I think it's just you know that's, that's a tough one I know a lot of people who have gotten famous on TV I don't know them personally but you know these people who have reality shows mm -hmm. on TV and then and then they start going to um, resorts and start getting all these gifts and things that they're only given because these companies know that they're on television. Um, and it's hard to see if, like, their experience with them is genuine. So I think, you know, you just have to be honest and, um, you know, with yourself as someone who's promoting those things. And if, if, if you can honestly say that, you know, you're not just doing it for the money, yeah, the money's there, but I also think this is a product that will help you, um, it, that would go a long way. And also perhaps sharing more than what the normal person would share about those things. Okay, this is a product. I Yes, I'm getting paid to share this with you, but I'm going to give you so much value behind it that it's going to be worth worth it for you if you were to get it. Right. Now, you mentioned uh, a little earlier in the interview about lead pages, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a lead pages customer. I, have, I use lead player. I actually don't use lead pages yet. Um, one of the things with lead pages and lead players, lead players specifically, is that you can have your email opt-in come up either before, in the middle, or at the end of the video. And there's some different schools of thought on when you should do it. If it's a video where the person has to sign up for your email list before they can view the video, okay. But what, what have you found that works best? Or has Clay done the research on, depending on what type of video it is, where is it best to place that opt-in? Is it best at the front? Is it best in the middle? 
where do you have the highest signups, if, if you know? Well, for me, I always have the signups at the end because I feel like I want people to consume the content and make a decision to subscribe at the end. So I always have in those um, lead player videos the opt-in form pop up on top of the screen, on top of the video, at the end of the video. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's less obtrusive that way. But I know a lot of people who use those pop, the, uh, the opt-in form in the middle of a video. And I think it's really important that if you do that, and it works because what you can do is you can share, um, let's say you're sharing five tips about how to do whatever, and you share the first four tips, and you say, okay, before I share the last, last tip, I'm going to give you the opportunity to subscribe to my email list. A pop-up is going to show up right now. You can click no thanks if you want, but you can get more information like this in your inbox if you subscribe. Here it is. Boom, and that's where you have it. Right. And then you, they click no thanks, and they get the, the last one. Or you, you mentioned, okay, if you, either, whether you subscribe to the email list or not, I'd love to have you. But if not, click no thanks. Either way, you're going to get the fifth tip right after this. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of pauses in the middle, and it forces them to, to, to think about it and to take an action because they can't get that last thing either way. They have to either subscribe or click no thanks. When you give people an opportunity to, 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 to make that decision to subscribe, a lot of times they will, especially if the first four tips, for example, were really good. Right. Now, one of the things that's come out for me during this entire FinCon experience is how much experience I actually have and didn't realize some of the things that I knew. How do you recommend people go through the process of understanding exactly what they know and how to not necessarily create a product from it, but to put it down in a way that they can deliver it to an audience, add value to the audience, and then possibly develop a product afterwards? Well, I would work with specific people in your audience, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're the ones that you're going to be serving with potentially a product or a course or something. So I would take one or two people and just help them for free. In, In exchange, have them help you by telling them exactly what's on their mind as you're teaching them or what could be better or what you can do better. This is, again, sort of a very lean way of doing things, meaning you don't create something and and share it with everyone. You create something with one or two people at the same time, and then you can make that thing better and then share it with everybody else after it's been fine-tuned. Right. Now, Dame Maxwell talked about um, charging up front, getting people to fund you up front. Would you charge those people? or Well, you said give away for free, but... If it's something that you know is really valuable that they can use, would you still give away for free, or do you think it, it depends on what you're doing and how much it, you have to I think it depends. It. I mean, I know people who've done it both ways. Um, a, lot of, a lot of freelancers, for example, will hone in their skills and do services for other for free, you know, to get their name out there, get testimonials and things like that. But a lot of businesses have been created. Um, for, for exa- I mean, I, I did this, and Cliff Ravenscraft from Podcast Answer Man did this. Um, and I know a lot of people who do this. They create they they create products. Um, Steve from I will quit or my wife quit her job dot com. Right. He did the same thing. He created an online course, sold it without any content behind it, and he was bringing in his audience to help him develop the content over time, and speaking directly and getting feedback from his audience that were there. And they paid for this product, but they were. What, what was cool is that they were creating it together, and he was there creating that product for them as they were going on instead of creating that product first, maybe creating stuff that they would be finding useful, maybe creating stuff they wouldn't be finding useful. Well, no. He's creating it with them and everything is useful because they're telling him it's useful and they can guide him in the direction that um, they want to where that product should be. And then he can open it up and sell it again later. Right. Now, 
As we're coming to a close on this interview, I wanted to ask a couple things. What's one of the biggest mistakes you've made, and what did you learn from it? <laughs> uh, which one? I got a ton of mistakes. <laughs> um, I think you know a big mistake I learned, and this is something a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, is you know at first I tried to do everything myself. Um, I don't know if it's because I was a guy and because I was too prideful and I didn't want to ask for help, but I felt like I had to do everything myself. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time uh, when I was just starting out, I remember trying to move an image from the left side of my page to the right side of my page. It took eight hours to figure that out. But you know what? I figured it out. I went on YouTube and I learned JavaScript and CSS and all this other stuff. Um, not JavaScript, but uh, HTML. And I did it. But it took me eight hours. I could have asked my friends who are expert programmers to do it for me in five minutes but I didn't want to ask them I felt ashamed or embarrassed of doing that I thought I I thought I could do everything myself um, or I could have hired somebody for for a small job like that maybe 10 bucks on elance.com or odesk and had them do it for me and do it much faster and probably do it much cleaner than the way I figured it out and so that's something I learned over time, and that's why in, in the iPhone application company I built, you know, we outsource all the development to people who just build applications for people who are experts at that, who could do it much better and faster than we can. We're just the idea people, my business partner and I. In my business now, I have people working for me, virtual assistants and other people who help me with tasks that I know I shouldn't be doing, or either I don't know how to do, either tasks that I don't know how to do, or even tasks that I do know how to do, but no, I shouldn't be doing because my time is better spent elsewhere. And, you know, yeah, I figured it out after eight hours, but eight hours is a lot of time, and time is money. And so, um, you know, I recently learned that, you know, you want to utilize the people who specialize in these things that you're trying to do out there. Right. Now, um, being a new podcast, one of the things that I struggle with is workflow. Do you have a particular workflow that you actually use? Now, I watched your videos on how to podcast, and you got the six videos and I, I don't think that there is a – well, there is an equipment set up in there. Is there a workflow that you recommend for when you produce your podcast based on when you, when, when you record them and then when you actually get them out? Um, well, I don't have a very specific workflow. I mean, I try to batch produce my interviews, for example. So I'll do three or four interviews in one day. Mm-hmm. So I'll have those audios. And then um, as the episodes comes out, it's just really easy to – it just takes me about – 45 minutes to put the episode together including show notes but it wasn't always like that the first episode took me 18 hours to put up right right and it just over time it's gotten much faster and i'm at a point now where i don't even i don't even have to think anymore i did create a procedure list before which is helpful you know when when you're going through this for the first time or through any process you want to write down the steps you take so you remember what steps you took earlier and now i'm at a point where i don't even need to look at that list anymore and um, it's just really easy to go and out the door. Um, so, that, I mean, the, the, the thing about workflow is just, like, it's going to be different for everybody. Different people are going to have different ways, different moments of the day or different times of the week they do things. I like to batch process. Some people don't like to do that. Some people like to have their VAs help them edit their mm-hmm. shows. I don't like to do that. And I know I just talked about hiring other people to help. Right, but right. with the audio, for me, that's my thing, so I want to do it um, myself, even though that's – something I love to do I'm passionate about so I choose to do it um, I wasn't passionate about moving an image right. eight hours but <laughs> so yeah like alright so one of the things I always ask is what, what are you currently reading right now what book are you reading what am I currently reading what I, I read quite a bit so I'm trying to think of what's your, fa- what's your favorite right now well oh, right now I'm reading Malcolm Gladwell Blink 
because that has a lot to do with first impressions and mm -hmm. I was doing research on that. Um, I, lot of, I love a lot of Malcolm Gladwell books. I like um, Chip and Dan Heath. They're a favorite of mine. Made to Stick is a classic that I always recommend. Um, you know, why certain things stick and why certain things don't. And it goes into the really analysis of, of certain things you can use to make things stick. And that's it's very relevant for bloggers and anybody online. You know, right. different strategies and things that trigger a long-lasting remembrance of who you are, what you have. Right now, as we close this interview, I wanted to ask, you talked about, you know, making first impressions and, you know, building email lists. And we didn't really go into great detail about the technology behind, you know, how do you get those subscribers and stuff like that. What's the, the like the one golden tip that you would give a new blogger just to or a new blogger or new anyone in business that's trying to do this new podcast or new blogger, anyone in the new media space. What's the one tip that you would give them to make them just more effective at everything that they do? Right. Well, I think it would be well, I mean there's a few things. One, I would definitely try to connect with other people that are doing similar things to you, you know, create a form and mastermind group, mm -hmm. uh, create and form a mastermind group because there's nothing more important than getting the input from others, not just the input from your audience, but your peers who all have, all share the same values and goals and you can help each other out. I mean, a lot of my colleagues have, sh have said things and shown me things that I would never have caught because I'm so deep into my own projects. So getting connected with other people, getting inspired by other people too. Um, but a big thing, you know, we are all different people. Nobody's just like us. We're all unique, and we have to find out what makes us unique. What is our be What are our best qualities? What makes us us? What is our best self? Like, we always hear, yeah, be yourself, be yourself. Yeah, that's true, but be your best self and show that off. Whatever you're good at, maximize that and milk it for all it's worth because that, that's what makes you you, and that's what people remember you by. So showcase those things on your website. Use your skills to your advantage, and that means you have to find out what those skills are what those unique advantages are that that's really um, that was a coin that was a term coined by um uh, jack bauer who um was who runs this course on email conversions but um i heard about it and it was uh, it's it, it struck me you know what is your unfair advantage use that you know because we always try we always see what other people are doing we just try to do what they do because what they did work works for them um, and that makes sense. You know, they inspire you, and you want to sort of copy the, their their methods and their, their steps. But you have to know what makes you you. What is you? What do you have to provide to your target audience that nobody else can? What is that? Is that apparent when people first arrive on your website? Because that's what's going to help them remember you, and and stick around for longer. Right. Well, you know, there's one thing I actually did want to actually that I almost forgot about, sure. and it just has to do with I'm horrible at looking at my notes when I write them down and don't have them on my on my laptop screen in front of me. You just did this um, breakthrough blogging course. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us just a little bit about that right before we close out? Uh, sure. Breakthrough blogging is was my first paid course that I came out with, and you know there's a lot of courses um, out there on how to start a blog and a lot of tutorials. I have a tutorial of my own. They're free. A lot of them, some are paid. They're great, but there was nothing out there for people who have blogs already to help them keep going, because most people who start blogs don't keep going with their blogs. I mean, statistically, that's just the case. And so I wanted to create something that, that really tackles all the issues that bloggers who got started are going to be facing from issues with growth and not going as fast as a lot of other people are, dealing with competition, um, dealing with things from like, like haters and people around you. Anything that's going to stop you from succeeding with your blog, I talk about. 
and tackle and try to help people break through those challenges. Um, and it's been really, really good. And, and the, the community in there who I have, the, the first round of beta users in there have been helping shape the course even better. You know, again, I did a very lean startup to this course. And it's been going really, really well. I'm, I'm very, very happy with it. Um, and so we're always trying to make, make big breakthroughs and share them in the course. Okay, so one off-the-wall question about the breakthrough blogging. The logo, what are the numbers for? There's a 94, and then there's a... Like I think 256 or something. Yeah, what like that. is that? Well, <laughs> this is funny. Um, it's actually plutonium. <laughs> Do you know where plutonium is from? Right. From the movie Black, Back to the Future. Yeah, okay. And so there's a lot of Back to the Future. So, you know, one thing I like to do in my work is have fun little Easter eggs like that. You know, so a lot of people know I like Back to the Future. Well, that's for plutonium. And I have a lot oh, of connections funny. like that in Breakthrough Blogging. You know, I do fun little intros in my podcast episodes. Um, I love doing fun little things like that because, you know, and this is a marketing tip, you know, like like In-N-Out has their secret menu, In-N-Out Burgers and, right. on the West Coast. They have their secret menu. And if you, if you know the secret menu, you feel special and you can share that with everybody. Well, everybody who figured out that that's plutonium, for example, this is just one example, is going to feel special that they figure that out, right. and they might potentially share it. Or, you know, if they feel like they, they discovered something, they want to share it. So that's a cool side little yeah. marketing tip. Awesome. Yeah, I do. I like your intros. One of my favorite is the uh, All Aboard the Choo Choo Train. Yeah. Thing. I don't know why, but I like that one, and I think it was because I heard it a couple times, and I listened to it like three or four times when I was running because it was a good episode. <laughs> and I'm like, where is that from? And I've yet to look up or Google. It's on what? YouTube. Look up Choo Choo Soul. Okay. It's on the Disney Junior channel. That's why, because that's, I have two kids. That's why it sounds familiar. We have do, uh, we have um, Disney Junior playing for my dog. Oh, nice. She stopped tearing up. She little Corgi pit mix, and she was tearing up stuff. And one day, my my youngest happened to leave the the channel on Disney Junior. She's twelve, so she doesn't really watch Disney Junior anymore. But that was on. And when we got back, she she hadn't torn up anything. I'm like, oh, turn it on Disney Junior every time we leave. And oh, nice. She's, Good she's not really torn up much since, so That's that'll really work. Cool. Well, hey, Pat, I do appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on the Social Strategy Podcast. Thank you for having me. So that was pretty awesome, right? So, you know, it was amazing to me to be able to talk to Pat and sit down. So, again, Pat, if you get a chance to listen to this, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. It was great to talk to Pat one-on-one, finally, you know, for like 45 minutes. It was awesome, especially since we're at a conference and there are a ton of people trying to get his attention. So it just speaks to, you know, how great of a guy Pat really is. So let's just recap real quick. Um, Make sure that you take a look at the show notes. There's a ton of stuff in the show notes. Uh, Make sure you listen to episode 46, the Dame Maxwell interview. Just go out to his podcast, search for, you know, episode 46. Awesome, awesome, awesome um, podcast. We talked about not interrupting the flow of content on websites. So, you know, when you're designing your website and you're going through it, not interrupting the flow of what your visitor is looking at. And if you're going to have an ad or you're going to have a pop-up, make sure that it's something that complements the message that you're trying to deliver on your podcast. Part of the problem with pop-ups and Stuff like that is that people have a tendency to interrupt, say, hey, check a look, take a look at this, check this out. But it has absolutely nothing to do with the content on the page. So as far as your ad strategy is concerned, make sure that if you're doing ads on a website, that your ads actually complement your message. And don't take your users on a path that you don't want them to go on. One of the other things that we talked about was website structure. And Pat kind of broke it down into five things that you need to have. One was an intro. So, you know, you want to introduce people to your website and what you're about. And the other thing was what you're about. 
And then you want to have some social proof. And then you want to have a call to action. So, you know, intro, introducing you and what you are. And then talk about, you know, the thing that you're going to talk about. Some social proof of what it is that you're talking about. If you're a social media person, you should have some social media social proof on your website. Or if you sell products, you should have some proof of how your products are selling. But you want to make sure not to have negative proof. So if you haven't really sold anything, you don't want to say, oh, yeah, I've sold one of these, so why don't you take a chance on me and buy two? Stuff like that. And then a call to action of what you want people to do when they're leaving your site. There is a ton of information in this podcast. Please go back and listen to it and make sure that you take some notes and write down all of the stuff that was in here. There was a lot of good stuff. I included a link to pop-up domination on the site. We quickly talked about that. Pop-ups do work, and Pat said he's not against them. You just have to use them in the right way, so don't use them for evil. Make sure that when you use a pop-up that it serves a purpose for your audience. Lewis Howes does a very good job of using pop-ups. Right when you go to his site, before you actually dig in, there's a pop-up, and it's to get you on his list and to talk about it. You can find that out at lewishowes.com, and there is a link in the show notes. Also, want to make sure to uh, let you know that one of the things that we talked about was masterminds. Um, there is going to be an upcoming mastermind post on the website, so do look forward to that. I'm also going to be talking to Jamie Tardy a little bit in an interview coming up with her from the eventualmillionaire.com about masterminds and about mastermind groups. And you would be surprised at how important it is and how much of a influence it had on what she's actually doing right now. Really do appreciate you guys checking out the podcast and leaving your feedback and reviews and letting me know in your emails. But we do need those reviews on iTunes in order to stay up there in the top of new and noteworthy. So make sure that you go out to the site and check out the video on how to leave a review on iTunes and on Stitcher. Also in the bottom of this post, you'll see how to leave a review on iTunes. Click on that link. It's an entire page video right there shows you how to leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. We need those reviews, and plus we want your feedback. We want to know, hey, how can the show improve? Who do you want to you know, see on this show or actually hear on the show? Let me know who you want to see, anything that you want as far as improvements are concerned. Just feedback from the show. I want to hear what you guys think. It's important to me, and I really do appreciate when you guys take the time to do it. Make sure that you thank Pat. You can find him on Twitter, at Pat Flynn, P-A-T-F-L-Y-N-N. Thank him for the interview, and just, you know, thank him for being just a great guy, and you're going to find good stuff on his Twitter feed. So go out, take a look, tweet him. He's very approachable. Make sure you visit smartpassiveincome.com. One of my blogging idols, so I can check that one off my list to have Pat Flynn on the podcast. I'm going to try to have him come back and uh, maybe do, you know, a few more episodes at some point in time with some additional stuff after possibly New Media Expo, which is coming up in January. I believe it is January 4th through 6th. It's in Las Vegas. I may be there. I may not be there. I'm trying to get there. If you get a chance to go, go out to uh, smartpassiveincome.com and over on the right-hand side, Pat's got like a 20% off discount coupon thing, so... If you plan on going to New New Media Expo, which is like the Super Bowl for blogging, it used to be Blog World, make sure you go out to Pat's link and get your discount. All right. Thanks a lot. This is Vernon Ross, Social Strategy Podcast. I really do appreciate you guys coming and listening to the podcast, and I will see you in the next episode.